Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This program is originating from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm privileged to be the pastor here. But this truly is not a broadcast that is um, solely for the purpose of greeting our congregation here. We are a very, um, we're, we're very much blessed to be a part of the Saints Network. And uh, this is um, a group of people, churches, prayer groups, individuals f- around the world that God has joined together to do the work of the saints. Now, when we say the work of the saints, we're not speaking about Latter-day Saints. We're not speaking about some Catholicized entity. We are talking about what the Bible describes as a people who are either within the church or within the body of the people of God who commit themselves to doing work for the Father that is commensurate with pursuing his purpose and interceding in regard to the things that God is wanting to do that necessarily the rest of the church doesn't seem to have much of an interest in. Now, I'm not criticizing the church. The Apostle Paul and others listed a a clear delineation between those that were in the church and the saints, or those that were in the church and those who were prophets, those that were in the church and those who were pneumaticos, or those pursuing the deeper things of God, those who were in the church and those who were uh, willing to, to pursue him in ways that... Um, are beyond the norm. And you would have to just be be one of two things to not see that when you read the Scripture. Number one, perhaps you see it, but you're not really interested in doing anything that would upset your apple cart. There are a lot of people like that. Or perhaps you just never were made aware of this. But the point is that the saints are a group of people that are, according to the scripture, going to be incredibly active in the times that we're living in and the times of the end that are immediately ahead. And we're not preaching some new doctrine. We're not preaching some um, cult thing. We're certainly not, not scriptural. Anytime somebody brings something from the word that threatens the status quo or would cause Christians to have to wake up and do more than what they're doing, the initial response is, that's not scriptural. If I had a nickel for every time some individual said, well, that's not scriptural, and then when you point out the scripture, they look at you like a cow staring at a new gate. So we have to be very careful that we know the word and that we're willing to be what God wants us to be and that we will then 
fulfill a pursuit of what God wants us to be. And this isn't a teaching on what the saints are, but when I say the saints network, that can mean anything. It could just be a catchy name that we came up with, you know, like a, like a mascot for a football team. And, um, you know, we just, what, what do we call ourselves? Well, how about the saints? That sounds holy. No, this is a, a, this is a, a designation that is scriptural. And, you know, the Bible says that <clears throat> this is once delivered to the saints. And we, we must embrace and pursue that. It doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. It doesn't mean that we're holier than thou. But what it does mean is that we recognize that there's a work to do in the kingdom of God. Clearly, uh, identified in the scripture. And we don't want to fail in that. I grew up in the church, grew up in Pentecost, was trained for the ministry for many, many years, and served in ministry, both as an associate on staff, before that as a layperson, uh, singing in a lot of different places with, with many different choirs and vocal groups, ministering in a lot of different churches. Um, then I pastored for 10 years before, after being an associate for seven. Uh, so I, I know, I think I can say, I, I know what goes on in a church. And I also know what happened when God called me and my congregation to pursue a deeper walk with him. And I recognize how that was a whole lot different than what we were doing when our main goal was to build the church bigger, expand our departments within the church, draw in as many people as we could, build numbers, build bigger barns, expand. I know what that's like. We were successful at that, thanks be to God. So it's not like, you know, we fail at every other thing and then we just, well, why don't we try this out? Why don't we run this up the flagpole and see if anybody salutes it? No, God called us at a point where we were, we were, we were blessed in many ways. And so I'm not saying that we're better than anybody else. But what I am saying is we want to be better than we were. And we want to be willing to to serve our Heavenly Father as sons and as saints and to be the type of intercessor that prays before the throne of God for something other than our long list of needs. That was always what a prayer meeting was when I was growing up and when I pastored. You know, I, I remember... You know, how many prayer chains? How many, oh, we better fast so we can get God's attention and get him to do this thing we want because we all feel burdened about it. I remember Wednesday nights for years. This was a tradition that was in this church. When I became pastor, we carried it on. But on Wednesday night, prayer and Bible study. At the end of the service, we would have people write out a request on a little manila colored prayer card and 
we would submit them, and we'd have one of our staff members read through every one of those. Sometimes it would take us, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, 30 minutes to read all those prayer requests while people were standing up front. And then we would pray that that staff member would lead us in prayer over all those prayer requests. That's a great thing. But that's what prayer was for us. We would come to church, quote-unquote, service, morning and evening service, Wednesday night service. And I thought, what does service mean? Are we bringing people together so we can serve them? That's what it became. Because if you didn't serve them, the church down the road sure would. So it was a competition. Uh, and it and it really trained people to, it was almost like a communist system. You know, you don't have to do anything on your own. The government will take care of you. You just come and our service will be serving you. What is our reasonable service, according to Scripture? Well, it should be that we come to serve God. And I don't mean just clean the church, teach in Sunday school, sing in the choir, serve on the board. Those things should happen. But our main purpose for coming to church, the ecclesia, those that are selected by God to governmentally represent his kingdom, that's what ecclesia means. It's not a gathering of people so we can escape the nonsense in the world. It is a devotion to what God is wanting to do now. And so we found that as we did this, that there were a lot of other people around the world that God was calling to do a similar thing. And he brought us together. And so we we obediently formed a cooperative fellowship called the Saints Network. And that's who we are addressing today. And um, so when I say we welcome all of our brothers and sisters in the Saints Network, that's what I'm talking about. It's not just a, a cool name. You know, if I was going to choose a name, I wouldn't have chosen something being as close to Louisiana as we were that people would confuse with fans of a National Football League team. <laughs> Especially not in Cowboys country. Maybe I would have formed the Steelers Network or something like that. If I'd have formed the Cowboys Network, we'd have had people shooting off six shooters here in the sanctuary wanting to put a, a, an opening in the top of our sanctuary so we could have been like Texas Stadium. Maybe now we could just open up the window, uh, put some big windows so that once the afternoon came, the sun would glare in and blind everybody like the Death Star, Jerry Jones World over in Arlington is. But no, the Saints Network is what it says it is. It's people that God brought together. We welcome everybody, but we're not for everybody. And what do I mean by that? We, we're, we, we want an operative group. We want people who, when we say we're, we're going to pray about this and we're going to reach out and we're going to extend ourselves to make disciples in other places, we want people who are willing to do that, 
It's not for everybody. Believe me. When we first started this, we were still taking care of people. We had a, a staff that visited people in the hospitals regularly, that followed up on people. But immediately when we started saying what I just said, there were a lot of folks who said, oh, you don't care for people anymore. Well, show me an instance where we weren't caring for somebody. But the very thought that we were going to serve God at the very top, the very pinnacle of our priority list, threatened people. Maybe it threatened those that had positions of power in the church. Maybe they didn't want to change, so the best way would be to say it's not scriptural. Maybe people were used to being served and and taken care of in every way. You know, if they had a prayer request, well, my goodness, don't teach them how to pray for themselves and stand. You know, let them just deliver their needs to somebody else. Let them carry it. Well, we're supposed to bear the burdens of one another, but in a scripture very close to that, it says that each person should bear their own burden. There's a harmony of that. And we just we just have experienced lots of different things. And the beauty of it is, is that now that God is uniting us with many different churches around the world and they're experiencing those same things, we can say, listen, first of all, you should expect those kinds of statements. And here's why. And you should also expect that um, the enemy's going to come against you in this way. That was one of the things that we faced early on, where things were happening and people were telling us, you know, how we're failing you, which we weren't. And we were a test case. Are we really failing these folks? Are we really fulfilling what God has said? And you know, it was it, it, even though we didn't like it, when we heard that other churches, other pastors were being accused of the same thing, it kind of relieved me, even though I was following the Lord and I knew what we were doing was right. But it wasn't because I was doing some miscreant thing or was failing in some way. I'm not beyond failing. I mean, if you say you're perfect, watch out. But when I saw the same tactics raising up in churches in many other countries, then I recognized this is a pattern. And so it removes the guilt, which is a main tactic of the enemy. And, you know, in society today, if you've been paying attention, Everybody has some kind of axe to grind. Everybody has been offended. Everybody has been mistreated. Everybody um, needs to air their grievances. And I tell you, that's a demonic strategy because then it leads the way to bitterness. It leads the way to strife. It leads the way to unforgiveness it leads the way to things that open the door, scripturally, to every evil work. So that is one of the enemy's strategies. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. 
hath God said this to you? Well, you know what? This He may have told you this, but it was really to deprive you of what you really should have. And then Eve went down the pathway of bitterness and accepted the doctrines of Satan. And where did that get you? <laughs> Left foot out of the garden and trouble ever since. Jesus came to as the second Adam to remove the curse, but there's a whole lot of people who are still functioning in that in that curse. As the old preacher said, believe you me. So I didn't intend to say all this at the beginning of this broadcast, but the saints, we welcome you. And um I I believe that God has a word for us today, uh, and I would like to direct your attention to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. Paul is writing to this church, which was in central Turkey, central and northern Turkey, um, Galatia was um, formed originally by the Gauls, the Gaul of those people, which is why it's called Galatia. And those folks spread out of many different places in in Western Europe, but particularly out of um, France. And they spread over there. Um, Many of the Gauls then under persecutions, uh, went over into Ireland and into southern England and to other places, into northern Europe. But initially, Galatia was founded by the Gauls. Then the Romans took over, um, and um, it really became an amalgam of a lot of different things. Um, You know... Uh, This isn't a history lesson, but Paul invested a lot into Galatia. And as soon as he did, trouble started. There were a lot of Jewish Christians, and we're not saying anything negative against the Jews, but in the early church, being formed by Jewish people themselves, there were a lot of Jewish people that weren't too happy with this new religion. And they would argue with Paul. And they would come in after Paul or Peter or whatever disciple, whatever messenger came, and they would try to re-establish the Jewish faith and form some kind of a hybrid We talk about the Judeo-Christian ethic. What that really means for us is that we believe in the Old and the New Testament. But for them, in those days, if they could do away with the idea of Christ as the Messiah and throw everybody back under the law, they were sure going to try. So Paul was dealing with that, but that wasn't the only issue that he dealt with. There was a lot of witchcraft. There was a lot of um foreign uh, demonically based religions both in Galatia and in 
Ephesus and in a lot of those uh, places in that region. And then, of course, there, there were people that were just heathen. And they would do everything they could to try to destroy this work of the church. And so, here Paul writes, before we read Galatians 4.17, that is our official passage, but let's consider a couple things Paul said earlier in Galatians 1, 6-9. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not really another gospel. It's a fallacy. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Oh, Paul, how could you say such a thing? Are you actually cursing people? Well, Paul thinks there at the end of verse 8, well, maybe I was a little harsh. Let me clean it up with verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Paul's not playing around here. The touchy-feely gospel where everybody has their own truth and uh, there are cosmic Christs and angels that are speaking to people, which are really demons, saying, you know what, this is really the truth of what goes on in the spirit realm. The, the word of God you can't believe. Those writings that Paul wrote under the anointing of the spirit or any of the other uh, gospels or any of the other works in the Old Testament would just do away with all of those. There's a lot of that going around today. It's, it's affected people in our network, who were in our network. And it's damnable. It's demonic. Well, here it is. Now, I'm not cursing anybody. I am not. But Paul sure was saying anybody who does this kind of thing is itching for bruising. And they're they're going to be they're going to be suspect to the very demonic influences that are leading them away from the true gospel and and it's not it's not a good it's not a good position to be in paul continued galatians 3:1 he says o foolish galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Who has bewitched you? Now again, be really careful what you say in response to this because this is the anointed word of God both what we just read and what Paul is saying here, there is a bewitching, a hexing that is operative. And a lot of people get real antsy when you say that and they, they go into the argument, can a Christian be cursed? Well, let me tell you this. If you 
abandon what God has called you to be. That's a curse in itself. You start going down the trail of disobedience or disobeying the word or accepting some other demonic or humanistic viewpoint. You are setting yourself up for destruction as it is. Even if you stay away from the Lord and you're not praying and you're not studying the word, you are going to begin to atrophy and you are going to begin to be what what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians about the table of grace, the table of the Lord. He said, you'll either be weak, you'll, you'll have form but no function, sickly, you will be, you will just be atrophying, or you're as one that's dead. You'll be in a coma. That's a curse in itself. Any of those, any of those would be. But beyond that, there are oppositions in the spirit realm that will do everything they can to keep you from being what you're supposed to be. Maybe influences that will entice you. I don't want to go too far with this, but there are influences like that. And Paul calls it bewitching. Do I believe that the enemy targets people that are doing the work of the Lord? Yeah. Do I think he can come in and take over or possess you? Hear what I'm saying? No. But the enemy's greatest weapon is to utilize whatever influence he can to cause you to influence you to not be what God has called you to be. And subsequently, then you become overcome and you've brought evil onto yourself. This is what happened with King Saul. Look at his tragic story. He had the ability to move in the things of the Spirit, to prophesy, to hear from God, to partner with one of the greatest prophets the Old Testament had in Samuel. But Saul readily admitted that he feared the people. Saul readily admitted that he was not offering supplication, partnership, prayer before God. Look it up for yourself. Saul readily admitted that he was not moving in, in conjunction with the, the prophetic stand that God positioned him to know. He readily admitted those things. And he did things his own way, according to his own mindset. Two particular points of illustration in the scripture are given, but I'm sure that there are many others, where God removed part of his efficacy and then God also prophesied the kingdom is going to be rent from you. Why? Because you're not seeking after me in the way you should. And so I found someone that will devote themselves to the Tobe purpose that I have and who will seek me with their whole being, with their whole entity. They'll seek me in spirit. It's good reading. You ought to read it sometime. Did Was Saul cursed? Well, no. Did he put himself in a position that the enemy perhaps was 
cursing him to follow? Well, even if the enemy wasn't involved in that, Paul, Saul went away from what God wanted, and it brought spiritual challenges toward, and at the very end, when Samuel died, Saul went to consult a witch. Did a curse do that? Was Saul possessed? What about the time where an evil spirit from the Lord came against Saul? Why was that? Well, I have taught on this many times. And the issue is that for Saul, he was either going to overcome or he was going to be overcome. That was the bane of every kingdom in the known world at that time. You either are strong and you overcome or you're going to be a subservient. I think every Bible-thumping believer can say that's true. Now, Saul was not just any king. He was the first king of the people of God. God appointed him. He was anointed. Do you think the enemy liked that at all? Do you think all of those ites in the land and all of the demons they worshipped liked that? Well, of course they didn't. And, you know, it can be wearying. Heavy on the head is the crown of the king. Uh, but especially if you're called to establish something for God that had never been established before. So when Saul wasn't seeking God, very evil influences begin to oppress Saul. God didn't send them. Even though it says from the Lord, it really should say from Yahweh. And it was on behalf of the fact that Saul was not pursuing the plan of God. And subsequently, he was overcome by the very things that he should have been overcoming. What rid him of this? Did David come in and wave his curly locks around and make declaration and proclaim and swing swords? No. Read it. He welcomed an atmosphere of commune with God. He played under the Lord, an instrument. He sang. And Saul then came back into alignment, albeit temporarily, with where he should have been. And he was relieved in spiritual things. Did that cause him to then turn and start serving God? No. And there are a lot of influences that went on in Saul's life. Many of them I feel really badly. I feel, I feel terrible for him. Because some of them I see in my own, in, in people that I have been responsible for. And it just, it's wearying. It's wearying. I'm not, this isn't a teaching on Saul. We better get back to Galatians. But the point, though, is, is that when you see let him be accursed and who has bewitched you, that's not some nonsense or a mistranslation. These are real spiritual factors. You know, since I've been here 40, let's see, how long have we been here? 42 years now. In fact, in May, I will 
as our our pastorate will surpass the 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 record for a number of years a pastor served con- consecutively here it will be at 35 years which is amazing glory be to god but you know over the years since i've been here there there was a big church down the street that taught the word massive church beautiful church wealthy church there's another church to the south who was from um a spiritual heritage that my family had and that contributed largely to evangelizing the world. Over the years, they started drifting. I remember hearing that it was a front-page story in the lifestyle section of the Dallas Morning News. That big church near here, their adult Sunday school class, instead of teaching the Word, they were teaching Harry Potter. Can you believe such a thing? And a lot of people left that church because of that, because they weren't preaching the Word. Then they embraced a social gospel. A lot of other people left because of that. Then the people that were left now are progressive, to say the least, the same with the church to the south of here. I don't even know that they preach the word anymore. I'm not criticizing them, but you can see how those that follow the cross and embrace the word, if they let down their guard, can become just like the world or probably worse because... The enemy doesn't really mock the world. The enemy mocks those who knew God and turn away from him. I mean, that's a great premium for the enemy to be able to say to God, look, these people, they're crucifying Christ afresh. Look at them. Now, again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just reading the box score. So, can Christians be cursed? Can Christians be possessed? My goodness, I remember in seminary, people would argue about this. Or my dad would say, argue. They would argue about this. And I think, you're missing the point here. You're missing the point here. Can a Christian have a demon? No, but they sure can hang around them. They sure can, you know, if Peter could be saying things that Satan wanted him to say when Christ talked about going to Jerusalem to offer himself. Either Jesus was confused, maybe he needs to counsel with some of you so you can straighten him out on what should really be. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Was he saying Peter was possessed? No, not in that instance. Was Peter saying something that the enemy wanted? Yeah. If if we believe the Bible, Judas was possessed twice. Once when he was making his agreements with the Sanhedrin, and there at the table of the Lord, the the first supper, the last supper, the Bible says Satan entered into him. You explain that. How'd that happen? Now, I've known enough people who don't need any help from Satan 
to just be evil. I've had people here who don't come here anymore who rose up and did more demonic things than the Council of Seven wicked or more wicked could have done. Not criticizing. Again, I'm just reading the box door. I know this, this is what happened. I know that when my church started to follow a deeper pursuit of God, always striving to fulfill the Scripture, that there were ministers who did unspeakable things to try to destroy what God was doing here. They're answering to God. That's not my business. Judge not lest you be judged. But again, I don't have to judge anything to hear the court case, to see the evidence. God is the judge. I'm not judging. But boy, when you see the witnesses and the testimonies, <laughs> it's amazing. So, Paul says, let him be accursed, and who has bewitched you? Now, as I said at the beginning of this, what is the Saints Network? It's, it's basically people who are of like heart before God, and we come together by the direction of the Lord to support one another, to be in agreement with one another, and to do the work of the Lord together. We've done this in nations, oh, I don't know, right now I think it's 31 nations, and there are others that are coming. Um, we would not, we, we, we would not as a single church been able to do that on our own. And it's been a blessing to be able to partner with network individuals, network churches, network pastors, network ministers. We're grateful for that. But where we go, we then have a responsibility. So back finally to the verse that was posted. Galatians 1, uh, Galatians 4, 17 through 20. Paul is talking about people who had the truth, but then they left the truth. And Paul says, they zealously affect you, but not well. They would exclude you that you might affect them. What does that mean? Zealously here is the same root from which we get our word jealousy. It's not the Old Testament word of jealousy, which is really committed to the things of God. When it says God is jealous, it means that he insists on what he has ordained to be. We should all follow that. In fact, Paul references that type of thing in the next verse. But this, let's, let's just consider this for a minute. There are other gospels. There are other things that entice. And people, Christians, they come to a point where maybe they get bored or weary and they, they want to sample other things. It's kind of like people in a relationship. They get tired of who they're with, and they want to be enticed. And this is what Paul says. And the effect that they would exclude you, that you might pursue after them, effect is the same word as zealous. You don't want to miss anything. Fear of missing out. 
So you got to keep up with the latest and greatest. And if somebody else is around you who's in something that's blowing and going, well, by God, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on that. So I don't want to be excluded. So I'm going to go along. And then you have heart divided. You have other lovers. You're, you're more familiar with what bilge is being taught somewhere else than you are with the truth. Big, big issue. It's a big issue. It is good, verse 18, to be zealously affected in a good thing, in a kalos thing. It's something that God has called you to do. See, so many Christians think that we're just all one big amoeba as a church. Whatever's going on over there, that's what we should be. What if your body was that way? What if your hand got took a hankering to what was going on in your head and your hand thought you were the head? Seems that I read things about that in the scripture. Many parts of, of the body. I also read things about putting on whole armor. It's not just a parade up and down the Champs-Élysées. It's to war and to stand. So we have to be very careful knowing that there are a lot of other things, other gospels, enemy influence trying to drive you off course. Does it mean that see, there's a difference between being familiar with things and being zealously affected by them? I read lots of stuff, but I don't, uh, and I learn things, but I'm never confused about what God has called me to be. You know, sometimes it, you know, the, the Bible speaks in the Old Testament in Micah and in Malachi, where he tells the people, you know, you, you've been given the best, so why are you griping to me about the fact that these people over here are being blessed and you don't like that you're, they're being blessed or maybe you think they're being blessed more than you. Your words are stout against me. We've got to be careful. We've got to be so careful in these days. So, if it's happening to us, you know that these influences are probably coming against those that God has brought to us who we're supposed to be making disciples of. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That is is an amazing word, that verse. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice because I'm standing in doubt of what's happening with you. Uh-oh. You know, in the other passage, they said, you know, Paul, you, you write these things. You're, when you're with us, you're really kind, but when you write, you challenge us. They didn't like that. Here Paul's saying, you know, when I come, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to tell you what for. I'm concerned. I doubt that you're really doing what you're supposed to do. The essence of what I initially felt when this broadcast was beginning, that I was supposed to speak to you, is I felt that God was exhorting the saints to spend some time over these next days, and maybe as a course of habit, 
to present those in other nations who we know God has given to us, that we have a responsibility for them, to pray for them that they will keep growing in the pathway of being Christ-like, in the pathway of accepting the God-ordained role of being sons and to walk before the Father as an anointed representative of his. That's what being Christ-like is supposed to be. We're to pray for those people. We're to lift them up so that that, in every one of its stages, is formed. Now, this travail is childbirthing. It's that intercession that speaks about going through the narrow place to form something. You can study that for yourself. It's there. Uh, Recently, (laughs) we welcomed a baby boy into our family. Uh, We have a grandson now, my daughter and son-in-law have a, a little baby boy. And I, I know that, thank God, he's healthy. My daughter carried him to term this time. The last birth was premature. The babies were premature. They're healthy, strong girls now. We, we love them. But I've learned a lot from my daughter telling me what the doctor was telling her about what was going on in the developmental stages of the little baby. He was a, He's a big boy. Strong. Big boy. And, you know, couple about a month and a half ago, I thought, honey, you're about to burst. I think it's time for that grandson of mine to come out. <laughs> but the doctor said, he's, he's big. He's, he's formed. But he's not fully developed yet. If he comes out too soon it's likely that he'll have respiratory problems that could linger through his life. And there were any number of other things that were there. So it wasn't just the fact that, look at him, you can see from the sonogram, he is a big old fella. He, every part of him is there that we can see, but he wasn't ready yet. And, you know, we can go into churches and, see great gifts and people doing things that are wonderful and we we're grateful to God that God has brought us into alignment with those folks so that we can stand with them and pray with them and teach them but just because they're functioning doesn't mean they're fully formed in what they're supposed to be this is what Paul's talking about here And I think we need to be specifically in these next days. And as long as the Lord would continue to, um, I don't want to say burden, but, but lay this upon your heart as a responsibility, I think that we need to be praying specifically for areas of their life as a church and as individuals that are still being formed so that they aren't vulnerable 
or sickly or or in any way unformed. I think that this is a word from God for us. All the things we talked about earlier, things that come against the believer, even anointed kings, even people who are are growing and are strong in God, all the things that come against them, we need to be watchful in our own life, but we need to to recognize that those same demonic tactics, those same tactics of the world, are going to try to affect these people that God has given us to disciple. And we need to pray. Now, Americans, when you go into other lands, whether you know this or not, many of the people think that you're just coming in with a wad of cash or you're coming in with a training regiment and do things our way. What do we come in with? We come in and we show them the word of God. And we say, here's what you must do to serve the throne of God as intercessors, as sons, as saints. I'm not trying to sound noble, but you know that's true. And we need to be praying for these folks Man, I'm so thankful. I don't want to say I'm proud, but I'm so grateful for the pastors and the leaders and the elders that have become family to us. I marvel at the gifts that we see functioning in these dear ones. The growth numerically that's happening in a number of the churches. The miracles that God has worked for them. I'm so grateful for that. Their love and their their kindness, the appreciation that they show, I'm so grateful for that. Those are all noble things. But those things, as good as they are, do not depict necessarily the formation of Christ within them. They have vulnerabilities still. We need to be watching over them in prayer. We need to be praying that God would supply and develop them. We need to be on guard for them. And that they would stand and be strong. Um, One of the things I'm grateful for now is that the people that we see now established in these nations are standing They're not saying, oh, it's too hard. You have to come and stand with us. You have to be here. We can't make it. They're standing. But are they fully formed in the next dimensions of the formation of Christ? In their role as sons, as we're called to be joint heirs with Christ, we need to be in prayer for this. So I'm encouraging you to pray for those that the Lord would bring to your heart. 
you're familiar with many of them. You don't have to wait till God shows you a vision of them, even though that would be wonderful. But you need to be in prayer for the, for the places you know, for the people you know, and then be very sensitive to the things that the Spirit might say. Can we do that? My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, ongoingly. Now some say, well, you failed, you aborted your mission, so I'm praying again that you'll come back to life. Well, there aren't any zombies in the kingdom. Well, maybe there are. I've known a lot of people that are like the walking dead. The dead in Christ rise first, I think, applies to some of them. I don't know how far they'll rise. <laughs> I better stop that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, let's pray for them. Um, yeah, maybe they've fallen short and the, the ground they've taken and the places God called them, they need to be rejuvenated. But this is a forming afresh, a, a forming of the new things that God is requiring so that we can be Christ-like. We need to pray for them. Yeah, there are many adversaries. We don't focus on them, but we're aware of them. We don't deny their existence, but we pray. And I know that God will bless you as you do this. In fact, it will cause you to grow. One of the things that I've discovered as a parent and as a grandparent is that you grow by doing. When you accept responsibility that is yours, it activates parts of you that perhaps were dormant. You didn't even know you had. So you're going to grow in the Lord as you do this. And no other example needs to be made than of our Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints, that we would fulfill the will of God. Christ is praying for you. And who are we, if we're going to be Christ-like, not to be praying for those that God has given us? Amen? Well, we do pray for you as well. And um, thank you for being willing to stand on behalf of the Lord. And um, may God bless you this week. But take this message to heart. Let's, let's pray for those that we know God has given to us uh, as children in the faith as disciple, to disciple them. But let's pray for them that Christ would be formed in them. And that they would triumph over the enemy and not allow themselves to be overcome by the very one they should be overcoming. Thanks for joining today. Don't forget this coming Saturday for All Our Saints Network is first Saturday. We pray together around the world on this Saturday on a common point of exhortation which should be being emailed to you soon if not already 
Until next time, when we can be together again. God bless you, and goodbye.